while the focus of investors on climate change has never been greater, another environmental threat isn't receiving enough attention – the loss of our biodiversity. The good news is that companies and investors are becoming increasingly concerned about the financial risks stemming from biodiversity loss and the destruction of natural ecosystems. And we're talking real money. According to a report from Global Futures Initiative, the world's economies will lose trillions of euros unless we manage to reverse nature loss. In this podcast, I have the opportunity to find out more about the role the investors can play in biodiversity conservation with Carmine De Franco. Carmine is head of research at OSIAM. OSIAM is a smart beta investment specialist and affiliate of Natixis Investment Managers. Carmine, welcome. Great to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining. Um, let's start with the basics, Carmine. What is biodiversity and why is it so important? Well, biodiversity, if, if we take the, uh, the actual definition from the United Nations, uh, is about variability among living organisms on Earth. So it's what makes uh, life possible on Earth. Um, it is important and significant for uh, both human beings and the economy uh, because um, it's, um, it's related to the way we live on planet. Uh, a recent report by the OCD uh, actually ranked biodiversity loss among the top uh, global risks that we face today um, because our, clearly our livelihoods depend uh, on, on biodiversity and our economies too. Um, I mean, sometimes people do not realize, but the planet is now facing its sixth mass extinctions and I'm pre pretty shocked about that. Uh, this is kind of things that used to happen millions of years ago and here we are again. Here we are again. Uh, what, in your view, Carmine, are the key drivers of diversity loss? Well, unfortunately, um, most, uh, if not all, human activities have a, a negative impact on biodiversity. Um, it comes with changing land use, for instance. Uh, I mean, the biggest and the most known example is deforestation. Uh, of course, global warming, uh, pollution uh, from chemicals, from industrial processes, etc. Even unsustainable use of uh, natural elements like water uh, can produce biodiversity losses. And, and in your view, what would be needed to uh, invert the curve? Um, unfortunately, when a problem is complex, uh, uh, there is no one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, and biodiversity is a complex theme because it, you know, it interacts with, with the physics of our planet, um, with the way our society works. Uh, the way we our economies work. So um, I think we will need to keep a kind of a multidimensional approach uh, when it comes to providing new solutions. Uh, well, of course, we need to work more on climate change. Uh, we, we, we shouldn't stop just because we're doing biodiversity now. Uh, but we need to also to improve efficiency whenever we can. We have to reduce our footprint just by our way of living, uh, reduce waste. Uh, I mean, on a, on a personal basis, the biggest impact you can have uh, on biodiversity is uh, on your diet. Uh, we, we need to significantly reduce our dairy consumption, especially especially meat and especially beef. Become more flexitarians. Exactly. Carmine, explain to me how uh, biodiversity and ecosystem service uh, loss affect investment value. This is interesting. Um, 
If you look at the empirical research and also reviews of studies that have been done over the last couple of years, um, there is an estimate between 15 and 45 percent of all GDP that depends directly on biodiversity. So even this gap between the, the lower bound, the upper bound, and the variability of between these uh, these numbers shows you how complex is the topic. We we just it's difficult to put a number of it. We just know that this number is is big. So l- let me let me try with an example, and I show you uh, like in three steps we can reach the entire economy. Um, well, first of all, it's easy to understand that biodiversity loss has direct impact on primary sectors such as the food and the agricultural sectors. Um, and then through climate change, you can also have a huge impact on, say, infrastructure or real estate, uh, rising oceans, for instance. And these, in turn, can have impact on the financial and the insurance sectors. So you see that in three steps, we reach the core of the economy, which is, remains uh, the financial sector. So um, I hope we explain to you how even second-order effects from biodiversity loss can affect the entire economy and not just uh, specific sectors or the wildlife. A consequence of that, do you think, Carmine, that corporations and their investors should then pay as much attention to biodiversity as they might do to their uh, carbon footprint? Well, I think that it's a problem for all stakeholders. So everybody needs to do his own part in finding solutions, consumers, uh, public opinion, societies, governments and corporates. So corporates, they, they, they will need to, first of all, measure, uh, measure the impact and uh, second, act to reduce the impact whenever it's possible. You can do it with new technologies, you can do it with changes in the process, but this is a problem that involves the, the humanity as a whole. So as with the carbon and the, and the global warming, we need, to do a, we need to have a kind of a multidimensional uh, approach and everybody will have to do his own job. To, to tackle the issue. Right. Um, agriculture and, and food sectors have a high impact on biodiversity. This is something we know. But how are food, agriculture and biodiversity loss uh, related? Um, I guess that to give, an, to give a, an idea of what the, the agriculture and food sector represent uh, to biodiversity, um, I guess the best way is to understand and measure how much uh, impact as the sector through the major channels uh, by which humans have an impact on biodiversity. Well, first of all, we, we usually don't we don't think about it, but the, the agriculture and food sectors represent a quarter of greenhouse gases emissions that you know at the, at the, at the planet level. So we always talk about energy, utilities, oil and gas, etc. But agriculture is a big guy there. Um, but when you go down to the biodiversity, let's say uh, footprint. Um, Half of the arable lands are used for agricultural needs. Uh, 70% of fresh water is for agricultural needs. Um, so you see that these are the channels through which we go and have an impact on biodiversity. And these channels belong in the, let's say, realm of the agriculture and food sectors. Um, just to give an idea, the World Economic Forum estimates that 75% of crop production relies on biodiversity, so the pollinators. Um, so you see that what we eat, which is fundamental for our uh, life on Earth, depends on biodiversity. Biodiversity. 
Carmine, let's talk a bit more about the Ossium Food for Biodiversity Strategy. Uh, my understanding is that it takes an active quantitative approach to uh, tackling global diversity destruction. What exactly does your uh, strategy entail? Um, with this strategy, we wanted to address the, the biodiversity issues uh, by explicitly targeting and, and engaging with companies in the agriculture and food sectors. So all the investment decisions and the portfolio choice will be driven by how the companies actually manage the biodiversity footprint now and their footprint going forward. Um, let, me, let me recall a research that was made by the WWF that about 60% of world biodiversity loss can be directly or indirectly attributed to the, to the agriculture and food sector. So this is the place uh, where we need to start when it comes to biodiversity issues. Um, in a way, it's more like uh, and climate change has focused in the past with a few high-stake sectors like energy, um, the utilities, and so on. So with the biodiversity, we need, we need to engage and consider um, the agriculture food sectors, but all stakeholders, included the, the large and, and listed companies, because uh, of course they can have large positive or unfortunately negative impacts on biodiversity. Uh, so avoiding them is not going to solve the problem. Um, on the contrary, if we can bring them on board, uh, and some of them already are, uh, we, we can use that leverage uh, in, a, in a positive way, if you like. Uh, and then let's look at the construction of the portfolio, because partly it can help drive uh, positive biodiversity outcomes, uh, but it can also reduce the negative outcomes. Can you explain that to us? Well, that, that's the goal, indeed. Um, each company in the investment universe is assessed based on the, its impact on, on biodiversity. And, and we use it, the MSA, the mean species abundance, as a metric uh, to assess this impact. Of course, we take into account, the, let's say, the, the traditional ESG-related considerations, um, controversies, for instance, or the respect of the, the 10 principles of the UN Global Compact. And then we, we build a portfolio that has the lowest biodiversity footprint. Um, as, as we expect that most of the companies in the agriculture and food sectors uh, have a negative impact, unfortunately, uh, the goal is to reduce massively the footprint. Um, and you can do it by investing in companies that are actually efficiently managing the biodiversity footprint. Um, for example, if you are a retailer, by expanding the offering in plant-based product instead of meat. Um, on average, we, we are able to reduce uh, the biodiversity footprint uh, of the portfolio compared to the, to the sectors by roughly 90%, uh, which is quite, quite substantial. Mm. And does the strategy then also reduce the carbon footprint? Yes. Um, of course, when you minimize the biodiversity footprint, indirectly, you're also trying to reduce the carbon footprint. But just to have it clearly uh, visible uh, and in the portfolio construction, we ask uh, the portfolio to reduce at least uh, by 30% the carbon footprint, all scopes include, so one, two, and three, uh, compared, to, compared to the sectors. Um, in reality, on average, we achieve much more than that, uh, typically 70% reduction in total emissions and 60% reduction in, intent, in intensity, yeah, carbon efficiency. Um, uh, actually, it's interesting because it shows you that even in a tough uh, in a, in a complex sector, so you, you, can, you can choose companies, you can make investment decisions that actually favors the, 
the best companies, those that are better prepared to tackle these issues. Mm. Uh, Carmine, many of us have heard of the sustainable development goals. Uh, is this portfolio in any way aligned with those goals? Well, biodiversity per se is not uh, an SDG, even though it, uh, it is deeply related to many of them, uh, both from the environmental side, but clearly climate action, uh, life on land or life below water, uh, but also on the social side. So when it comes to the portfolio construction, we explicitly require the final portfolio to improve at least by 20% on all, let's say, social SDGs. And we ask a 50% improvement on all the environmental SDGs. And do you also engage with the companies in your portfolio? As a... As a long-term investors and with a, with a low turnover portfolio, and this is a low turnover portfolio, we will be investing in companies uh, for many years. Um, we want to be a, a really an active investors in order to promote best practices, more transparency, and especially in the biodiversity theme. Uh, and of course, this will go hand in hand with uh, the, the, the voting policy. So we will vote accordingly to the biodiversity issues and the way the companies will manage it. Um, One interesting point is that we will not only engage with companies in which we invest, but also companies that are not part of the portfolio, but they could be, uh, for example, by trying to nudging them in a way to improve their footprint, for instance. Um, and the program, the engagement program will be dealt with in three different ways. Um, collectively with other investors, we believe that we can achieve uh, a lot when we pull uh, common interests together with other asset managers and asset owners. Um, by cooperating with NGOs or research outfits that are specific to the agricultural sector, such as a FAIR, for instance, in the UK. And also we'll take individual action on companies when we feel that we can bring something more compared to more cooperative approach. Um, let me add that I think it's important that we need to consider this sector as a strategic for everybody, all stakeholders, uh, even for the financial sectors, because I I believe that there won't be any sustainable economy or sustainable society if we do not manage a sustainable agriculture and food sector. Carmine, let's, let's talk a bit about measurement, uh, because how do you measure the biodiversity footprint uh, of the investment universe? Um, well, that's the key. Uh, usually you cannot have an impact if you cannot measure what you're doing. So measuring is, is particularly important. And especially this uh, topic, it's particularly complex. Um, one of the metrics we see in gaining momentum is the MSA, so mean uh, species abundance. It's a kind of a complex metric, but the way it works is relatively simple to, to, to understand. Um, what you want to do is to measure the impact of a given human activity on biodiversity by comparing the state of the biodiversity after the action has taken place and uh, uh, an ideal, let's say, undisturbed state of the biodiversity. So it's an indicator that goes between zero and one. And for example, when the indicator is equal to one, it means that the action didn't have a clear impact on biodiversity. Uh, on the contrary, when the indicator MSA is equal to zero, well, it means that there has been total destruction of biodiversity. This is the, the case, for example, when uh, you, you take down a slice of the Amazonian forest uh, and you build a parking lot on it. So that's the case where the, the, the action has provided and has uh, caused um, total destruction of biodiversity. Literally, <laughs> yes. Um, 
no company today explicitly reports on its uh, biodiversity footprint, which makes me wonder, uh, Carmine, how do you get your data? Unfortunately, it's true. Um, it's not like carbon footprint where uh, disclosure is becoming mandatory for listed and also other uh, uh, cor- corporates around 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 the world, especially in Europe. Uh, but we we do not find uh, biodiversity impacts on let's say extra financial reports of companies in which to invest. So we we need to rely on on data and we need to rely on models. Um, likely for for the agriculture and food sectors, um, because as we said, it's it's very important for biodiversity. The the academic research has already done significant progress, um, and, and actually today. We, uh, when we use the most advanced models, we we able to provide very robust metrics uh, of biodiversity footprint. Um, to give an example, uh, we know how much biodiversity does it take to produce a, a kilogram of beef in the Netherlands compared to Brazil. Um, and for this, we're working with Iceberg Data Lab. It's a French uh, data provider that compile. Uh, biodiversity metrics. Uh, so we start with raw inputs. So exactly, we need to know how much tons of beef, for example, a company has been producing or how much it has been uh, selling and so on. And also, where did the source the, the, the raw materials so in each country? Because the impact is not the same. And then we combine all this data, this raw data with the models in order to get a comprehensive metric of uh, biodiversity impact. And this is done for each company in the investment universe. And what do you consider to be the biggest challenges here, Carmine? Um, I mean, it, it's a new topic. And as usual, when there is a new topic, investors and companies, they need to get used to it. They need to adjust. They need to understand how it works and how can they, they can provide transparency on the basis of mean species abundance, for example. Um, we also need more research, I, I believe, um, from the academia because... Um, If for the agriculture and food sectors, we know a lot about the impacts, it's still not clear what is the impact, for example, of cloud computing on biodiversity. So we need models that account this, let's say, new uh, part of the economy. Um, So better model, more precise. Uh, We will need more granular data. So these investors, I think they can play a role in it, try to to nudge and uh, and, uh, create momentum in order to, to force companies to be transparent on that from that perspective. But I want just to stress the fact that um, uh, it's uh, it's important to get uh, the disclosure we need to, to measure biodiversity because biodiversity is a complex theme. So um, just the revenue of a company is not enough. We need to understand how much of each items uh, the company has been uh, producing, consuming, and where did they actually source it. Do you think investors have a role to play here? So do you think that investors should engage with companies and data service providers to encourage uh, more meaningful and consistent biodiversity data? Um, Clearly. Uh, I mean, if you want to be successful in tackling this issue, uh, we need to to start by measuring things correctly. Uh, I I mean, if you want to have a, a policy and then an action that is efficiently in managing the impact, you need to be sure that what you are doing is exactly right. Okay, so we need, to some extent, we need to reach uh, the equivalent of what the tons of CO2 is today for, for the climate science. Um, but just let me stress the fact that I hope, and this is my hope, that we won't spend the next couple of years arguing with each other, which is 
what is the best metric in biodiversity uh, footprinting, as we did for carbon footprinting years ago. Uh, because even if it's a, an intellectually stimulating problem, and, and I do like it, um, we shall not lose sight of the objective. Uh, and the objective remains preserving and restoring biodiversity, not finding the best, the absolute metric of it. And no time to waste. Exactly. Um, we're already at the end of this uh, interview, Carmine. Uh, maybe one final question. I'm curious for those listening to this podcast. Uh, do you have any tips on how we can personally contribute uh, to a better biodiversity? Uh, tips, tips. Um, well, my wife and I, uh, and the kids as well, um, we, we have uh, dramatically reduced our meat intake. Um, we, we use currently plant-based alternatives, uh, burger, sausage. Uh, I mean, let me tell you, it, it's just fine. Uh, you, you, you like it. Okay, well, let's all try that. Of course. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carmine. Thank you. You listened to a podcast about how investors can contribute to biodiversity conservation. I would like to thank today's guest, Carmine De Franco, head of research at Ossium, for his time and his insights. For more podcasts, please visit the Fonts News website, fondsnews.nl forward slash podcast. This material has been provided for information purposes only to investment service providers or other professional clients or qualified investors and when required by local regulation only at their written request. This material must not be used with retail investors. It is the responsibility of each investment service provider to ensure that the offering or sale of fund shares or third-party investment services to its clients complies with the relevant national law. In the Netherlands, this material is provided by Natixis Investment Managers SA or its branch office, Natixis Investment Managers Netherlands. Natixis Investment Managers SA is a Luxembourg management company that is authorized by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier and is incorporated under Luxembourg laws and registered under NB 115843. Registered office of Natixis Investment Managers SA is 2 Rue Jean Monet, L2180 Luxembourg, Grand Duchy of Luxembourg. Netherlands, Natixis Investment Managers Netherlands. Registration number 507746770. Registered Office, Stats Plateau 73521AZ, Utrecht, the Netherlands. The above referenced entities are business development units of Natixis Investment Managers, the holding company of a diverse lineup of specialized investment management and distribution entities worldwide. The investment management subsidiaries of Natixis Investment Managers conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. Although Natixis Investment Managers believes the information provided in this material to be reliable, including that from third-party sources, it does not guarantee the accuracy, adequacy, or completeness of such information. The provision of this material and or reference to specific securities sectors or markets within this material does not constitute investment advice or a recommendation or an offer to buy or to sell any security or an offer of services. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks and expenses of any investment carefully before investing. The analyses, opinions, and certain of the investment themes and processes referenced herein represent the views of the portfolio managers as of the date indicated. These, as well as the portfolio holdings and characteristics shown, are subject to change. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as may be forecasted in this material. This material may not be distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. All amounts mentioned 
are expressed in US dollars, unless otherwise indicated.